And if you want pictures overheads and all that, I'm sorry, they're not there. Glory to God. We are wanting, as a church, and I believe what God wants is for us to pray and to humble ourselves and simply allow him to do a new work amongst us. We're here for a purpose. Do you believe it? God has an amazing purpose for our lives. Each one of us. Not just as a church or anything. Each one of you has an amazing purpose to be outworked. Psalm 139 is a very revealing, wonderful psalm. I'm not going to read it all, but I'm going to read verses 13 to 18. Psalm 139 says, For you formed me in my, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. You skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they are all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more in number than the sand. When I awake... I am still with you. Marvelous are your works. The dictionary definition of marvelous is this. Astonishing, amazing, astounding, miraculous, incredible, unbelievable. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Can we begin to comprehend how well he knows us? How great is his love. For God, the creator, to humble himself and come and die for us. How great a love is that? 
God has a purpose for us. He had a purpose in creation. He stood in front of darkness, emptiness, and that which was void. And he spoke into it. And life burst forth. He had a purpose in creation. He showed his creative purpose and power. He commanded the universe to come into place. The planets and the stars he placed. Beauty broke forth on the earth. He made the sun and the moon. Trees and flowers and plants and animals and insects. Such diversity in creation. The sea, the fish. Such beauty. All set to recreate. And it is so awesome and astounding. Astounding. Science continues just to discover our Creator's God's handiwork. I look out on our bird table at home and we see numerous birds on it. And I, I'm, I just stand there and just awestruck and just watch them. You know, we've got woodpeckers, nuthatches, all the tit family and everything else that comes to it. And different birds, different colours, different shapes, different habits. And this is just birds. I walk through the garden and I see the splendour and the beauty of, of, of thousands of different plants and their structure and shape and colour. It's awesome. It's, it's unbelievable. Our God is immense and wonderful. Absolutely incredible. Unfathomable is the word that comes to me. Unfathomable. So he knew us. He created creation. We dwell here for a purpose. Spiritually speaking, we have God's word. We have the word of God. It's not words in a book. This is the word of God given to us. We have the Old Testament representing law, commandment, sacrifice, self-effort and flesh, the old law. But we have a New Testament which is full of grace and mercy and the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, we see the children of Israel in slavery and bondage. This is God's people, captive, suffering because of their sin, their disobedience, and their hardness of heart. 
But God's, God's heart was for his people. And he speaks to Moses who trembles in his presence and, sp- and splutters and de- declares, I'm not worthy of this. You know, I, I, I need a helper. I, I can't do this. I'm not the man for the job. But God used him, raised him up and he used them. And Moses raises up to challenge the demonic powers of Egypt. And God sets them free. And he showed his awesome power. Exodus 7, rivers and to blood. Exodus 8, frogs, lice and flies. Oh, how awful is that? Exodus 9, the livestock die. Exodus 10, locusts. And three days of complete darkness. Still Pharaoh refused. Refused to let God's people go. And the enemy of our souls does not want to let us go. But we have a God who's come to set us free. To break us out of captivity and slavery. He brings them out of Egypt, Egypt into, a, into the wilderness. He promised to go before them with a, as a pillar of cloud during the day. At night, there was a pillar of fire leading them. God was with his people. Despite, they still moaned and groaned, but he was with his people. He had determined to bring us into a promised land. Exodus 14, when they thought that they were going to be consumed by the Egyptians on the Red Sea, the sea opened before them, and the Egyptians perished. Exodus 15, when they complained about the bitter water, it became sweet. Exodus 16, manna from heaven. God's provision from heaven itself fell at their feet. Exodus 17, they cried and moaned about being thirsty. And he strike, Moses strikes a rod, a rock, and water gushes out. Exodus 19, verse 4 says this. He says it's to Moses in a quiet place. He says this. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And how I bore you up on eagles' wings. 
and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be to me a special treasure. Wow. From slavery and captivity, he sets us free. He brings us into a promised land and says amazing things to us. That setting free. That work of his spirit is the same today. God's purpose is to reveal his love and promises to us. We were without hope. We were lost in darkness, sin and and willful disobedience, rebelliousness was in our hearts. We were in a helpless state. But God himself, he looked down and he saw our state, our captivity and our slavery. He saw our hopelessness. And God himself became flesh and placed himself in a stable shed. Acquainted himself with shepherds and prostitutes. He came and lived amongst us, demonstrated miraculous, amazing things. And he lived and he died and he rose again. Glory to God, he rose again. He paid the price for our captivity to be broken and to set us free. And the purpose of life is that we choose to partner with him. Through all the trials and the difficulties and the battles, through the highs and the lows, he has promised to outwork and shape and mould us with him. There's no greater joy for us as God's people 
to be a light, to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be there for people. To me, that's what it's all about. In Acts 11, 23, it says about Barnabas. He says, And when he, Barnabas, came and had seen the grace of God in the church, he was glad. And he encouraged them with all with, with purpose of heart. that they should continue steadfast in the Lord to encourage and to strengthen others is our glorious privilege that's my desire for this church but by the Holy Spirit we will be so sensitive so aware so trusting in the Holy Spirit to awaken this community of Stanmore for him. So willing to be a helping hand, an encouragement to others. Our greatest joy is when we share and we give ourselves away. When we choose to die and to be life for others the joy that we share is immense. And that can be just meeting a friend, paying for the coffee without even thinking about it, or whatever, simple things, or going to somebody who's lonely, a neighbour that you've not seen for some time, and just say, hi, I haven't seen you. How are you doing? Friend, it if we give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, say, Lord, use me today. Use me today. I might be in a... I might be in a... I might work in a factory. I might be in a hospital. I might... But look, or on buildings. Just use me today. Help me to shine for you, Lord. Keep me sensitive. Help me to abide in you. Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you're having a really rough time and you haven't got any answers and it's not happening and everything else, all things are working to good for you. In your situation, I don't care how desperate you are, God is working in that situation. He will take us to the end of ourselves. Out of the ashes, hope will arise. God has an amazing plan and purpose for every one of us. You are important in this house. Yeah? You like my heart up when you come through the door. When we see each other round about, it's beautiful. How lovely to worship together. What unity, what love. How attractive is that? To eat together, to laugh together, 
beautiful. One John three eight. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came because, friends, people will perish. He has come to give life. It won't be all smoothed out on, the end, you know, on Judgment Day and everything else. Clearly, There is life and there is death eternally. We have to be amazingly aware that we serve a holy God. His purpose is to make us like his son. So, I ask myself, as a Christian, where, where am I? I want to have purpose and I want to partner with God in this place. I don't want to be half-hearted. I don't want to be an onlooker. I don't want to be idle. I want to be active. I want to fly with freedom. I want to soar on eagle's wings. I don't want to be a parrot in a cage, unable to fly. I want to be able to soar into heavenly places, partnering with God. I haven't got a lot more to say. He has a purpose for us, a glorious, wonderful purpose. I see the need of prayer. Without prayer, we're going nowhere. As Elias shared last week, yeah, prayer is so important. I want to just read, sorry. I gave this little book out. 
I don't know whether you've been able to read it. It's about a pastor, a young pastor named uh, Jim Simbala. A young pastor. Overwhelmed at his wit's ends, ready to quit. In a fishing boat with others, God spoke to him and it transformed his life. He was fishing on a fishing boat and God suddenly spoke to him and encouraged him. He came off the boat, went and spoke to his people in a church. Yeah, a few in a broken down church, about 20 people, and he, and he spoke to them. God has called us to pray. And, and Jim says, here he says, in page 27 of the book, I marked two little passages, page 27, page 29, a week ago, and Pam texted me yesterday, just to mention about this book, and it's very, exactly the same. And it says this, if we call upon God, he has promise in his word to answer. I'll say it again. If we call upon the Lord, he has promised to answer, to bring the unsaved to himself, to pour out his Holy Spirit among us. If we don't call on God, he has promised nothing. If we don't call on God, he has promised nothing. Nothing at all. He says to his people, no matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend upon times of prayer. This is the engine that will drive our church. Yes, I want you to keep coming Sundays. But prayer time, prayer night, is where it, where it all happens. A minister from Australia was in the meeting as he spoke to his people. It was a rare occurrence to have a visitor let alone a man of God. I introduced him and invited him to say a few words. He walked to the front and made just one comment. I heard what your pastor said. Here's something to think about. You can tell how popular a church is 
by who comes on a Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor or the evangelist is, is by who comes Sunday nights. But you can tell how popular Jesus is when you come to the prayer meeting. And with that, he walked off the platform and out of the doors, he said, I never saw him again. So week after week, I kept encouraging the people to go to pray. And as Samuel Chadwick said, long ago, the greatest answer to prayer is more prayer. We are not there to hear one another give voice to eloquent prayers. We are too desperate for that. We focus vertically on God rather than horizontally at each other. Much of the time we called on God as a group, all praying aloud in concert. A practice that continues to this day. At other times we just joined hands in a circle and waited on God. The format of a prayer meeting is not nearly as important as its essence. Touching the Almighty. Crying out with one's whole being. I have been to, in noisy prayer meetings that have been mainly show. I have been with groups in, silent, in, in times of silent prayer and it has been deeply spiritual. The atmosphere of the meetings may vary. What matters most is that we encounter the God of the universe, not just each other. He goes on to say, I also began to ease up in the Sunday meetings and not controlling them so tightly with a microphone. The usual format. Two songs, then announcements, specials, music by the choir, the offering, then the sermon, finally the benediction. I, I gradually laid it aside. God began to loosen me up. I didn't have to be so nervous or uptight, or phony. I had only been protected myself out of fear. After all, people weren't hungry for fancy sermons or organized polish. They wanted love. They wanted to know that God could pick them up and give them a second chance. Isn't that tremendous? I feel we should go for a week of prayer from the 20th 
to the 24th, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, starting on that Monday. Next week, I'll give you a little pamphlet. You'll have plenty of room on that to write things that God tells you about, prophecies, dreams, things. I want you to fill it. I want you to see God for a week. We're going to meet here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Listen to this. 7.15 in the evening till 8 o'clock. 45 minutes. We will start sharp. 7.15. We will close at 8. Unless the Holy Spirit sends us into the night. But we will see God together.